User Grindstaff Publishing Audio Files. Hello, one. Hello, all. Welcome to Grindstaff Publishing Podcast. Um, it is currently uh, 9.05 on December 22nd. So we just passed the winter solstice, and we are here in the wintertime officially. Um, I just recorded Chapter 19 of Room to Rome, which is North Atlantic, and I am stoked. It is the last giant chapter, 27 pages of Room to Rome I had to record, so... I'm definitely on the downhill stretch. I chose not to record a, um, a, a discussion part of the last chapter, which is Denmark part two, because really it's it's small. There's not a whole lot going on in that chapter. It's just kind of me getting that headspace of being like, okay, this, this is the last push. This is an adventurous push. I have to get just get from Copenhagen up to Aarhus, which is the very tip top of Denmark. And then once I get there, I can go on the ferry. So I, I decided to skip that. I'll kind of put it in here. So this is this is that. So I arrive in Copenhagen, which is very strange because it's my second, it's my only time going into a, a city which I had already been. So um, Copenhagen was when the city when Reed left and, and I went on my journey, my solo journey down. And then the snafu with the bus happened. And so to get back into Copenhagen by myself was very strange because I got to the central, central station. I got the train, walked out, and I saw the exact same stuff. It looked the exact same. And so I say a different hostel this time. Um, I had stayed in two with Reed, but uh, a party one and then a, a, an old brothel, brothel, <laughs> sorry, brothel. Um, and then, so this time I stayed in, in more of a hip hostel further, um, further away from the downtown area. Cause I wanted to pay a little bit less money, but have a good experience. Um, I walked through the sites. It was so weird. It felt like I was like in this weird deja vu dream where I was like, Oh, well that's this, there's that, there's this. Okay. I've already seen this before. I just, I, and it's like I was on a mission. Before I was like, let's just see pretty things. Let's learn about this this place I was in for this very short amount of time and then move on. But this was different. It was like, uh, it was a mission to get to Iceland. So I got to my hostel. It was very cool, very hip. Um, it's like a, kind of like a hipstery hostel. There's a fireplace, a bar. Um, I went out to this really cool um, Indian, Turkish restaurant. I can't remember which one it was. Had really good food. And then kind of wandered around a lot. Started raining a little bit. Um, I, I remember I talked to Alex who then we were broken up, broken up and now we, she's my wife. Um, and so that was kind of funny cause I was like, we're not together, but we're getting closer to home. So now this might be something. So it was kind of funny. We talked for like an hour, hour and a half about stuff to, with her. And, uh, so that, that day night was kind of just me hanging out, just trying to figure out how to get North. The next day I took three trains. Um, the, the first one was great. Second was not great. Third one was like a piece of crap. But we arrived in, uh, in let's see, Aarhus. Um, so Aarhus was, sorry, I, spoke, I missed up before. Aarhus is in the middle. Um, Aarhus is like, is one of the, the last bigger, bigger cities you get as you go north. That's where I stayed in this um, kind of basic hostel. It was very much a seaside um, uh, city. So I was kind of like, okay, well, let's just take in the seaside area. Walked around, went to a, an English bookstore and just had a kind of a just wandering kind of time. Um, the next, the next day I got, I went to the very top to a place called Herschel's. I misspoke before. Aarhus is in the middle. Herschel's in the very top. I had been looking at the weather, of uh, the North Atlantic, um, which encompasses tip, tip of Denmark up to the Faroe Islands, up to Iceland, all, all that area is in the North Atlantic. 
And like I say in the in the book, it is a bitch in the in the wintertime. It is a mean, mean bugger. Um, which makes sense. You're going farther north and it gets cold and wind happens. So I was expecting it to be, you know, not great. But when I got to Herschel's, it was a tsunami. I mean, it was it was it was a gale force wind. Um, and I, I got off the the train. There was no one around me. I didn't see anyone on the streets. Um, it's it, Herschel isn't a very big town to begin with, but I mean, it was just whipping. And and immediately I went to the um, to the rocks over overlooking and outlooking into the ocean. And just the waves were peaking. They were white caps. When our uh, water was flipping everywhere, um, boats that were parked in or not parked, uh, docked in the harbor. So in the harbor were bobbing up and down like bath toys. Not even out there, but they were just bobbing right next to me. So I was like, ah, oh, shit, this is not good. This is not going to be a good time going north. So instantly I was freaked out because I thought, well, there's no way any kind of sane captain is going to take a boat up to Iceland in this. And so. I mean, I, I just instantly went in search of any kind of shelter I could find. I mean, my jacket, everything was flying behind me. Um, it was it was insane. It was absolutely insane. Um, and just made me think right back to fishing in Alaska and being like, damn, this is, we shouldn't be in this, but we were there. Um, so I, I eventually found a, uh, a grocery store. I went in, um, talked to a guy that worked there, and then he got me on a taxi. Taxi took me to the ferry office. I went in the ferry office and there's this really weird tone. Everyone's kind of like, I don't know what's happening. The windows were rattling. Um, I went to this very calm receptionist and she said, well, the ferry is uh, delayed. Um, we're still planning on going, but uh, we just don't know when. Very calm, very much like, oh, you, you definitely work here because you don't give a shit about this crazy weather. And everyone around me was just like, eh, this is a little spooky. And so we wait, we wait and hours go by. And um, I got there probably in the early afternoon and it finally got dark and it was like, uh, are we going to go it's canceling it? What's happening? And then over the intercom, they told us that we were going to get on this, this bus and go down to, um, a further South into this town called Fredrikshavn, which is, a which is a town like, I don't know, like half an hour away. And, um, it's a bit more sheltered, so it wouldn't be so exposed to the seas. So we all, we all got in this bus from the fifties. It must've been, um, and we just kind of went down. We got to this very bustling harbor. Our ferry is right there. Um, I was stoked. I was like, okay, we're, we're finally on this damn ship. We're finally here. I got, I got on the ship. It is devoid of anybody once you get past the cargo hull, which is bustling. But once you got into the actual ferry portion of it, the, the uh, passenger ferry part of it, um, it was pretty dead. Um, I found my, my cabin. <clears throat> There's an Afghani guy in my cabin. There were four beds in this cabin. And I talked to him a little bit and then I, I was like, okay, let's just walk around. Let's see what's going on. And there's no one out. There's just no one out. Just everyone was like hunkering down, probably freaked out. They weren't going to leave. And then I found this guy about my age sitting um, next to a window, drinking some beer. And I was like, oh, this guy seems cool. Talked to him for a bit. He was, he was born and raised in the Faroe Islands and he was going to go back up there for Christmas to see his family. And he assured me that, that the ferry we were on supplied um, the Faroe Islands and Iceland with uh, critical supplies. So, you know, we, there was no such thing as cancellation. We were going to make it regardless. Um, it's just a matter of when. Um, and then I, I put in the book, and this is an interesting like writing point of view, is that the entire book has, has been not a not in first person. It has been definitely told in the past, but as, as a person walking through in their time. But in this part, which is so damn long, um, I had written, um, I basically had written this exact um, chapter in Iceland, 
And so I thought when I was writing it, this is a perfect thing to put in there. And so um, I put it in there. And so it is told as a journal, which I make very apparent in the beginning of the, the chapter. Um, so it's pretty cool because you get to you just exactly read exactly what I was going through when I was going through it. And so I think it's a really cool, you know, really interesting perspective of me in the moment. Like I was in there, you could feel that I was in there and it was pretty damn cool. The next morning, it was kind of delayed. And then we go, okay, well, then now, now we're going to go up to Herschel's. Oh, well, now we're going to wait till halfway because there's a, there's a storm is just not stopping. It's really, really bad. So we're going to hang out between this middle ground. The next day we got to Herschel's. The next day or whatever it was, we, we um, started, started north. Um, we got to the Faroe Islands. We got there in the dark, unfortunately. We got to Torshavn and um, couldn't really see anything except for the beautiful lights and a little bit of the, this town. Um, but the most important thing that happened between Denmark and the Faroe Islands was the talking because in, in, in my, uh, in, in my cabin, there was me, the American, the only American on the ship, um, is as far as, you know, passengers go, who knows all the cargo people, but at least as far as I knew, I was the only American on the ship, which felt weird, but also really cool. Um, there was an Afghani guy who was from Afghanistan and he was like this quiet guy. We didn't really get to know that much until later. There's this Icelandic guy named Victor. He was super cool. He was an artist, a painter from Iceland. And um, he had studied all over Europe, uh, mostly in France. And he had just came back from France, I think, or maybe Denmark. Um, and he's going to go back home for Christmas time. And then he's, then the next thing he's going to do is get on this um, Danish, how do you describe it? I guess like a Danish art community that was on, on the ocean. And so basically it was this big old boat, big old ship that had shipping containers on it. And each artist would have their own shipping container and they could do with that shipping container what they pleased. And once they got to where they were going after a few months or whatever, they would have an art exhibit in that cargo hold or sorry, in, in that um, shipping container. And so it's kind of like a, a, a mobile, a sea bound art project. Very strange. Very cool. He's a great guy. He showed me his paintings. Absolutely amazing. Um, and then the fourth guy was this like old drunk guy. We never saw it. We never saw, um, you know, awake or sober. He's always sleeping or just drinking something crazy. So we never really saw him. But the three of us that were sober most of the time um, had kind of got, gotten close. We talked a little bit more. And it turned out the Afghani guy, who was from Afghanistan, hence Afghani, he was born and raised in Afghanistan. He ended up teaching English to people in Afghanistan. And then he met this, this woman from Iran. Um, they became really friendly. They started dating. Um, one night led to another, and then she became pregnant. Um, so then the Taliban got after him and said they're going to kill him unless his father paid twenty thousand dollars to them. His father somehow got the money together and gave it to him. And then it turned out that uh, that that the the girl's uh, parents wanted to kill him. So then he they both fled. They fled to Iran. They fled to. Uh, to Greece or Turkey, then to, then in, into Greece. Um, from Greece, they got into the EU and then went up to Sweden. And then they were had been living in Sweden for two months. Sorry, two years. Uh, so that was interesting. So it was a really interesting way of looking at things. And we were like, you know, do you ever see yourself going back to Afghanistan or the Middle East? And he said no. And it was a very interesting talk because he kind of talked about how, and this is his thoughts and his words, not mine. Um, but what he told us was that. Being a Muslim is difficult because you're you you instantly start out not you know you instantly start out thinking Christians are bad, and that Muslims are the way to go, 
and that if you ever meet a Christian, you should tell them that they're wrong and um, you should try to convert them. And so he didn't like that upbringing. His name was Muhammad for all of his life. And then he, once he got to the EU and Sweden, he decided to change it to Adam because he wanted, he switched to Christianity. And so he's this quiet guy that has this amazing story. And he said that he wanted to write a book about it, but he was going to go see friends in Iceland, in Reykjavik. Um, and then he would uh, go from there. So we didn't really question it. The story kind of blew us away. And we're like, okay, well, that's a very powerful story. Damn. Um, and then we kind of just hung out with, with other people. A lot of fairways were on the boat. We talked to a bunch to these these core group of burly um, Faroese guys, and there was one guy um, unnamed Jacob in the book, and he was a really cool guy. He was a guy that uh, that was a dog sledder, um, which seems so weird in the 21st century to, to have, be a dog sledder, but they're out there for sure. Um, and so he had this crazy idea, uh, or ambitious idea, I'll say, uh, an ambitious idea of circumnavigating the globe on a dog sled. So he told us a few stories about how in the past his dogs had saved his life, how he loved doing it. The bond between dog and and um, human was so was so powerful. And uh, he just really he he just really liked that that lifestyle that he was leading. It was very admirable. I mean, you, not only do you not meet a dog sledder every day, but but when you hear, but when you hear anyone with that kind of ambition in their voice, it just it's infectious, and so it's really cool. And to be a, <clears throat> to be on the top deck, which had this really cool um, like uh, enclosure with had heat lamps in it, so you could sit in there, you, you could watch the sea, um, you could kind of just talk and relax, and it's just a really cool vibe. And so, you know, Victor was there talking about painting in Iceland and growing up in Iceland, and there's this Jakob guy with his friends from the Faroe Islands, and talking about their crazy lives, and there was me with you know my with compared to them mundane life even with the traveling and so this is a really cool vibe we were drinking some pharaoh pharaohese beers we were just talking about stuff having a you know gale time and um it was just great um then the next day we got to uh Torshavn, which is the capital of uh, the pharaoh islands and at night it was dark oh sorry before that uh, before that the the night of talking to those guys um victor and i went up uh, on the top deck after it was dark and we, we saw the Northern Lights just sprawling out, and it was great. We saw uh, Norway Norway around us. Um, it was it was so cool to see like like all of Iceland just kind of just gleaming, and it was nice. We we didn't see the the, the Northern Lights in all their beauty, but it was a little bit a little bit of them. It was a little cloudy, but uh, we saw the parts of them. I didn't put in the books. So I was like, eh, that's kind of not really effective. But we saw a little bit of them, not too much, but they were a little bit there. Um, we, then we arrived in Torshavn. Um, it was at nighttime. All the guys, all the fairways guys, got off, and they said their goodbyes. And we watched. We looked out on on the town, and just it was really cool to be just kind of see things and to see this 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 little um, island nation, little island town of fifteen thousand people. But the way all the the uh, the very heavily Danish inspired um, buildings, which they are owned by Denmark, so it makes sense. Um, but Danish inspired buildings. We're just littered across this, this little island, just and in the nighttime it was very, very warm, and the atmosphere was great. And uh, then it, it became—I mean, we were all out in the, in the air, and then once it got really cold, we all decided to go in, and we kind of just sat down in the viewing area and talked about stuff. And then Victor was like, "Oh, well, where is where is Adam going?" And we we all look over, and and our Afghani friend is getting quickly escorted off the boat by these two very large security guards. And I get up and go over and be like, oh, "What's happening?" And then I was too late, and the doors closed. And we watched, watched as, as Adam went off the boat. And then, uh, 
not too long after the boat pulled off and we didn't see him again. So after that, everyone was kind of like thinking like, okay, what the hell was happening? Why would that happen? Um, and we, you know, we have no you know, facts at all, no evidence of this, but it's, but we kind of gathered that what, what may have happened was that, um, Scandinavia as a, as a whole, isn't the most, um, welcoming into or for Middle Eastern people. Um, Iceland and Denmark are especially not so. Um, so we were thinking maybe, um, since he, and, he, and also he was the only non-Caucasian guy on that boat. So it was a little weird that the only guy from the Middle East, um, got taken off the boat and never, never seen again. There's also like, why was he there? You know, that was the thing we kind of kept questioning. Like, why was this guy who lived in Sweden, um, uh, why was he on this boat? Why would, why did he choose this way to go to Iceland? But then again, that could have been said for any of us. Like, why were any of us going to Iceland that way? But the, the actual Icelanders that had grown up in Iceland, they were thinking, well, maybe he was doing that way to circum, circumvent any kind of like heavy scrutiny. And he thought maybe that was a better way of doing it. But since Iceland was, was kind of like a, not definitely not anti, but definitely like harsher into the Middle Eastern politics, maybe they saw him, he got flagged, and then maybe his information didn't get checked out or something or whatever happened. So it was just interesting that the the ship left almost immediately after he got booted off. So it wasn't like, oh, let's, let's question this guy and then put him on, then put him back on. It's like, let's get him off the boat and go. So who knows? He could have been anybody. He could have been anything. No one knows. I thought he was a great guy. Um, we had a great talk. Uh, was his story true? Was he who he said he was? I'll never know. But the time I had with him was great. So Adam, my, my book was a great guy from that time. And his story he told me was fantastic. So that's all I know. After uh, we got, after I got back into my cabin, I knew that we were going to be in uh, some really heavy storms, really big seas. So I kind of prepared myself for that, for that mentally and thought back to, uh, Alaska and how, you know, how just, how I love those big seas. I love that, love that stormy weather, but this is a different animal because I wasn't getting paid for this for one. And also we were on this giant ship. So it has to be different than being on a 40 foot wooden boat. And so in the middle of the night, I woke up numerous times getting thrown, forcefully thrown against the, against my bunk. The slapping of the bow against the waves was, uh, was really intense. Um, that night, um, I, out of the weather and it says me about, um, gusts up to 45 miles per hour, um, 18 to 20 foot seas, which we had fished in a few times in Alaska. So I wasn't worried, but it was just different. And to be woken up and be thrown around like that, like a rag doll was concerning. Um, because in, in Alaska, we were on such a small boat of 40 feet that you could feel it. You felt you were part of that boat. You felt like you could control things, you know? But in this giant ship, you had no control. You were on this hulking behemoth going north. And you had to hope that people that were in charge were doing what they were supposed to do. And you didn't know. So it was just different, a different feeling. It still gave me that adrenaline. It still gave me that high that I really like. But it's just a different feeling. Um, the next morning, the seas were still pretty rough, but it wasn't nearly as bad as in the middle of, middle of the night. So we all kind of got up and we were mulling around. We were sitting in the viewing area. And I was just down, man. I was like stressed out. I was anxious because I was going to the eastern part of Iceland and I had to go to the west. And I had zero, zero idea of how to do that. You know, in the book, I talk about how my entire life has been, you know, and not, not even meaning to, but just kind of finding the best story, finding the way that's harder, doing things that are the, 
the other way everyone else wants to do it. So could I have gone on a on a airport or on an airplane um, from Copenhagen to Reykjavik? Absolutely. Like why not? Um, but instead, I saw or I heard about this ferry. So what better story is a ferry going in the North Atlantic in December? You know, and obviously it's a great story because I put it in the book. I wrote a book about it. <clears throat> and um, it's so interesting that my, my mind works like that. And it's not even about a story or like, look what I did or look what I can do. It's about because in my mind, like, why make it easy? Go harder, you know, go the harder way, go the place, go the way that's like harder to do. And so that's got me a lot, a lot of like, not trouble, but a lot of like um, uncomfortable situations in my life. Uh, which, which in ret- retrospectively, I've always enjoyed. But in the time, it's like, damn, that was difficult or damn, that was scary. And waking up with no idea of how I, how I was going to get from east to west is is scary. It's scary. And it was, it was anxiety-ridden because we, we were going to get to Sedesvidur in eastern Iceland. Um, and there is a 12-hour drive to get from east to west. So that there are three options. There was a plane... Um, which is very expensive. Um, there was a bus, which was uh, rickety and more, it was more sure to get there, but it was kind of like, when were they going to leave? And then three, I figured out somebody to take me across. Like I didn't know anybody. And so as we were going into the fjords, I was like, oh man, I don't have any plan for this. And then out of nowhere, like an Icelandic god from the sky, Victor, the painter who I've been talking to and became really good friends with, um, he said, oh, hey, I, I was talking to these guys and there's actually a, an Icelandic guy that has, has agreed to take you west with him in, in, his, uh, in his truck. And I, and I looked at him like, what? Are you kidding me? That's amazing. And uh, so I, I met the guy named Einar. Um, he was great. He's like a 60-year-old guy. And I talked to him for like a minute. And then we went, we, then as soon as we landed into, uh, into Sedesvidur, we, uh, we unloaded our stuff. Uh, I got onto his truck and then we took off. Um, it was incredible. And then we took off, took off, took about 13 hours to get from east to west. Um, the drive across was crazy because Einar was a very nice guy. Uh, the first hour was like the typical stuff, you know, like, where are you from? What do you do? All that stuff. And um, it turned out that Einar uh, started his life in photography and currently was in photography. Um, he worked more in the processing fields when he was younger and more like, you know, I guess, you know, before 50. And then one, and then he opened up a few businesses and all that stuff. And then in the last five years, or I guess 10 years now, um, he got to work with Adobe. And so he became like, a, I think he said the Icelandic representative. Like he was the guy in Iceland that controlled, that was like the, any kind of Adobe stuff he, he uh, had. So he was the first guy to ever talk to me about the Adobe Creative Cloud, which is important for my business because I use it a lot. I use it a lot, a lot. Every book I've made, I've used it. And it basically, it's like, it's this bundle that you pay a set amount of, amount of money a, a month and then you get access to all the Adobe products. And so it's really cool. Um, and so him and I talked about that for a while, talked about photography. Um, his other side thing was that he was a um, Icelandic photographer uh, educator. So, so professional photographers would come to him and he would take them on these crazy voyages and then teach them stuff about how to shoot specifically in Iceland and then show them sites on stuff and more of adventure stuff. Um, so that was perfect. And so here I was going across um, Iceland for free um, with this Icelandic guy that was really into photography and was a, also an adventurer and a really cool dude. Very science-minded. And I was like, what are the freaking odds this has happened? It's like, what a way to end it. 
what a way to end the adventure is this, this guy and this amazing situation I found myself in by complete happenstance. Um, so, uh, you know, on the way we were talking, um, I, at one point we came across the Northern Lights, the most beautiful I've seen them. Um, cloudless sky, um, green, electric green across the sky. Um, he t- told me some stuff, how to set my camera to get the best photo. I tried and tried. Eventually, um, I put my camera on um, a fence post, took a picture. It's a little bit blurry, but I still cherish it very much so because it's like, this is amazing. Um, we talked a lot until about one in the morning, and then uh, I started fading off. And he's like, wait, I have to show you one more thing. And so he stopped by the uh, the Glacier Lagoon. It's a very famous tourist spot in, in Iceland, and it's a spot, it's this lagoon, imagine that. And the glaciers, imagine that, um, are in these amazing shapes. Some are blocky, some are, you know, like some are spires, some are sharp, some are dull, and just everywhere. And it's so pretty. Um, and then we took off, and time goes on, and I'm just like, I'm so tired. So I start nodding off, and he's like, hey, it's, it's okay. Just go to sleep. I appreciate it. I woke up hours later in Selfoss, uh, which is only half an hour away from Reykjavik, and where um, Victor is from, the Icelandic painter. And he's like, so... Uh, have any plans for uh, where we're going to go? And I was like, oh, crap. Like, I, I, I already felt really lucky to even be on this damn voyage. And now here we were half an hour from Reykjavik at like 3 in the morning, or maybe 2 in the morning, and I didn't know where the hell I was going to be. I was like, I didn't know where. I didn't have a hostel picked out. Like, I, did, I, I, I didn't want to, you know, jinx it or, you know, make a bad decision. But, okay, well, I know I'll be to Reykjavik in this time. I had no idea. And so it was a little spooky. And I was like, I have no idea, man. I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to stay. And as soon as he asked me, I was like, yeah, I, I got to figure this out. I, I mean, he's, he's obviously not going to offer me a place to stay, nor should he. He saved me a lot of money and time with taking me, you know, from east to west for free. So I, I got out my phone and I started going just frantically through anywhere I could think of. Like, you know, and and it was two in the morning. Um, so, of course, everyone's like, no, we're, we're either closed or we're not going to take anybody. And so we, we finally arrived in Reykjavik and I was like, oh, my God, like, I don't know where I'm going to go. I can't keep being this guy's hair. And so then I thought, wait, the very first, my very first day, very first night in Iceland, in Europe in general, but in Iceland was like at two in the morning. I was like, wait, and then Reed had the, the hostel. And then I remember hearing these girls coming at three in the morning and booking a room. So that has to be open. And so I tell Einar, okay, we'll, we'll go, go to this hostel. And so we got there, I think it was three in the morning at that point, somewhere in there. And the lights were all on. And I was like, okay, just please, God, please be open. And I walk out and I open and I test the door and it was locked. And I was like, oh my God. And my heart just sank. And I was like, yeah, it was totally my fault. I screwed it up. I went back to the, the truck and I was like, um, now what? And, uh, I was like, I don't know. And then out of, out of nowhere, um, a worker came to the door and was like, wait, wait, you're, I'm, we're open. Come here, come here. And I was like, oh my God. And so I, I shook Einar's hand and said, thank you so much. He gave me his card. Um, I went and, and checked into the hostel, and I was like, you know, let's just get a, a private room. I went in, got a, 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 a very small room with one little bed, and it's it like a shoebox size, and I did not care. I got into bed, and I was like, oh, my God, I made it. I made it to Reykjavik, December 10th. Tomorrow I fly out. And I could not have been more relieved. And, um, and it was cool because it was like 3 in the morning on the 10th, so... I had all day and, and then I had the next day and the next chapter about that. 
And so if anything about, if there's any one thing that could be distilled from this chapter, it is that you never know what's going to happen in real life. Because even in the most mundane life ever, something extraordinary can happen at any moment. You know, anything. But when you're living in extraordinary time, or if you're living an extraordinary life, like I was for those 94 days, it is truly incredible if you just open your mind, open your heart, and just like just open and just just receive the universe. And um, my wife is really big into energy and the universe and all that stuff, and how everything happens for reasons, and you know, accepting those reasons and everything, and the energy. And I'm always kind of pushing against that, but when you look back at those times, times like that. In, in Iceland and like, what are the odds that we made it? What are the odds that I was sitting in that bed on time? Like, it's incredible. I, I trusted the system. I just indulged myself in that, in that uh, adventure and that craziness. And I welcomed it. And was it stressful? Beyond. Was I anxious? Beyond. Was I scared to death? Beyond scared. But I let it happen and somehow it happened and it would have happened anyway. Like something would have happened. I would have figured it out. And that is, you know, if, if you could distill into one point, this entire book, the entire 94 days, the entire Europe trip wasn't about, hey, I'm just going to have all this money. I'm going to do this, all this fun stuff, get on these flights that I, but the way I chose to do it slash had to do it of seeing 19 countries in 94 days for so little money is because I opened myself up to just being out there, just going out there, accepting it, you know, using common sense, but just saying yes to almost everything, taking the past less traveled and just welcoming, welcoming people in. And what I got was a book. I got a novel because I got a story, you know, I, I, and it's like, I look back at this and I think if, if Reed and I had traveled 94 days together, there would be no book because it would have been like, oh yeah, now we did this. Now we did this. It's all safe. We didn't talk to really, we didn't talk to really anybody. We had one another. So why would you ever talk to anybody? If I was if I was on that ferry with Reed, why would I really you know branch out to anybody? I'd be like, oh, we just, I have my friend here. Why do I need you guys? But instead, I was alone, and people you know saw me and talked to me. People with good hearts, and you know nothing bad happened. Um, you know something bad could always happen. You could it could happen in any part of your life, but also. In that, in the same way of saying something bad could happen to me now, something incredible could happen to me now. As long as you use common sense, you're not in like this crazy bad place. You can accept it. And um, I was, I this chapter is the best chapter in the book, hands down, because for one, it's told in a journal or in a diary point of view, which happened in real life, and it all happened. It's all accurate. The names are a little bit skewed for different reasons, but everything in that part is completely true and in the moment. Um, I think you can feel some of my frustration, some of my anxiety, but also you can feel that like completely randomness of it, the complete randomness of it. And the fact that I found myself in Reykjavik on time and I can make my flight and everything in the entire trip was in a circle, literally a circle, because it started in Reykjavik and ended in Europe in Reykjavik, um, is incredible. And, um, you know, doing these, uh, doing these discussions is so much fun because, you know, reading reading the chapter out loud is fun because it it's kind of like a meditation on my writing style and how I could change and get better at it. But the discussion is a meditation on the story itself, because I 
I kind of skim through a little bit of it before I do anything. I read the chapter, which takes a lot of time and a lot of rereads on stuff and kind of go through it. Then I have a little bit of time in this situation, a few minutes, but sometimes a day. And I contemplate, you know, what happened in that chapter. Then these discussions are what happened in that chapter. And so, and plus the, the added benefit of it being three years plus from writing it. Well, actually that chapter in particular, you know, and that's, that's five years after because it's, it's real time. Um, five years after writing it or three years after writing most of the book, it's like I've grown since then. I've become a father and I've, you know, I, I've grown up and I've, I have like a career now and there's like things going really well for me and my life is really, really good. And looking back at that point in my life and being like, that was really fun, but really scary. And all that stuff happened is like, I, uh, if you talk to me now or you read the book, it doesn't seem scary. It seems like, oh, these guys having a really good time. But I was scared shitless the entire time. Like I was, I was terrified, especially in that last push. And I think that's why I was so anxious because I was, I, I wasn't just like walking around and seeing things. I was going towards a point, and um, that was really impressive. And it was a, uh, and this chapter really shows it is so impressive. So, thank you for the millionth time. For uh, if you get made this far, you're you're amazing. My heart goes out to you. Thank you so much. Um, we're almost done. This is all this this room to roam part of this podcast slash audiobook is almost done. It feels good. It feels right. Um, I've had a really good time doing it. There's a the next chapter is called Home. There's epilogue, and then I'll do a a, a final discussion to kind of wrap things up, and then that'll be it for the room to roam part. Um, I'm not sure what's gonna happen between the end of this one and then whatever happens next. Probably a little bit of sleep, a little bit of rest. Cause I've been pushing really hard to get this done before the end of the year. Um, but regardless, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I, I, it's fun doing it. It's cool to see people are actually listening to it. Um, thank you and uh, prepare next for uh, home.